Hi guys, welcome to the Fintech Coffee Break. I'm your host, Isabel Castro. This week, I sat down with Daniel Ballon, co-head and partner at Portage Capital Solutions, to talk about the startup funding environment. Startups have been facing a frigid climate for funding, exacerbated by March's banking crisis and ongoing rate hikes. Demand is high, but supply is low, and VCs have had to adjust their strategies. I spoke to Daniel about his outlook for fintech funding and how Portage has adapted its approach. Hey, Daniel, how are you today? Hey, great. Great being here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, good to have you here. I'm really happy to welcome you to the FinTech Nexus uh, offices. Um, so to begin with, what gets you up in the morning? Uh, great question. Uh, I think there's a literal and figurative answer to that question. Figuratively, I love what I do. I love solving challenging uh, you know, problems, complex problems. Um, I love the day-to-day of investing in in the fintech world, um, uh, literally, it is my three and a half year old toddler who is still jumping uh, up on me in, in, in the bed each morning and waking me up at uh, ungodly hours in the morning. So, <laughs> well, that's a lovely way to wake up as well. <laughs> it had its charm for the first you know few months, and now it's uh, getting a bit, a bit more tiring. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine a lot of a l- lack of sleep, right? Uh, yes, not not as bad as it was when uh, he was an infant, but okay. It. Nice. Okay. And so tell me a bit about your career journey and how you came to Portage. Yeah, you know, I've spent probably um, about 20 years just investing in and around financial services and and fintech. Uh, Worked at a variety of firms, started off on the advisory side uh, at Bear Stearns uh, way back when, uh, and then, uh, you know, moved to to a few firms in between, uh, Bain Capital, Pinebrook Partners, and then I was at PIMCO for a number of years. Uh, and, And I've always been investing in, you know, kind of growth-oriented businesses, exciting stories in North America and Europe, in and around financial services. And um, you know, I was looking to do something a bit more entrepreneurial uh, with my career, uh, really building a, a new platform. Uh, thought it was a really interesting time to build this kind of later stage strategy. Had gotten to know the the, uh, the leadership at Portage, um, Portage, uh, part of the Cigard uh, and, uh, ecosystem, um, has really been one of the you know, most successful fintech investors over the past decade and, and was a great place to launch a, a later stage effort. So um, you spend a lot of time with the team. Um, you know, Devin, my co-lead in the strategy, uh, joined around the same time, and um, it's been a, a really great uh, story ever since. Nice. Yeah, I've talked to some people from Portage before, mm-hmm. and I love your strategy and the way you approach fintech investing. Okay, so let's get down to it. Uh, what is the outlook at the moment for fintech investing? And fundraising in general. So you know we're, we've um, we've kind of drunk the Kool Aid in terms of you know fintech and the long term secular trends uh, around the industry. Um, you know clearly there's been a dislocation over the past couple of years, but you know over the long term there's still so many really antiquated areas of financial services. You know the areas of insurance wealth management, banking, lending, payments that still are, are ripe for disruption. And there are just fascinating new you know, uh, technologies and services and products that you know, are, are 
are born every day that will continue to take share from kind of the you know old school, old line uh, financial services companies that dominate. So long term, very bullish. Clearly, we're in a period of a bit of a dislocation. Um, in the near term, it's it's tougher for for businesses that are trying to innovate and, and invest in R and D and growth because the that liquidity is much more scarce. Uh, but you know, I think there's still you know really interesting companies that are doing well, you know, proving their business model, have reached kind of profitability and and will be self-sustaining and those will succeed where that liquidity pressure isn't as acute. Have the recent kind of macroeconomic conditions for the fintech environment, have they changed the way that you are approaching how you how you fund companies and fund growth? Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of considerations. Um, I will say, you know, the macro picture is overall negative for a lot of these fintech businesses, but there are also kind of, I wouldn't call them unintended consequences, but there are industries that are actually benefiting quite a bit from higher interest rates that are benefiting from inflation, that are benefiting from, you know, increased mortgage rates. And just to give you an example, um, you know, housing in, in the U.S. drives a lot of financial decisions that, you know, so people's homes is the biggest um, asset that, that they have uh, as, as relates to their net worth. Uh, because a lot of people are now anchored to extremely low mortgages, 2.5%, 3%, uh, housing mobility has dropped dramatically, right? I, I, the, the ability even to upgrade my home, if I'm paying a 7% mortgage, you know, that, that financial uh, math just doesn't really work for most people. So what do you do if you're stuck in your home? Well, you have a, a, additional liquidity. You, you can improve your home. So there's actually a tremendous demand for home improvement lending, home improvement, um, you know, products and services in and around that ecosystem. And there's also a lot of demand for products that allow you to tap into your home equity if you, you know, want to make a big purchase, if you want to consolidate credit card debt or, or other liabilities. Uh, so there are a lot of you know, uh, companies, whether it's you know, offering HELOCs or second lien mortgages that don't touch you know, the, the really, you know, precious two and a half percent first lien that, that are benefiting. So I think we, you know, the macro picture is not black and white. There are kind of nuances to, um, you know, to how certain industries are, are affected. But I think overall, I think that uh, as other investors have done, there's a, definitely an increased emphasis on, um, you know, lowering burn, having, you know, runway and, and the liquidity needed to continue operating and growing for, you know, longer period than would have been, you know, probably sufficient in the 2021, um, uh, you know, uh, quote, bubble, but, you know, the 2021 macro picture uh, in the sense that, you know, you can't really guarantee that you're going to be able to raise money in, in you know, a year from now as that was kind of a, um, a, a very predictable outcome for companies of that size. So, you know, focus on liquidity, uh, but, you know, there are nuances in between. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought up the kind of change in how people are, pro- like, they're not taking it as a given that they're going to have fundraising mm-hmm. next year. Have you noticed in the founders and the entrepreneurs that you work with, how have they changed their approach to take account that they might not get funding next year? Yeah, it's this is probably the most fascinating um you know, I think aspect of the current market and and at Portage, the, our our later stage fund is not a traditional growth fund, um, in, in the sense that we have uh, purposefully built in a lot of flexibility to build in bells and whistles to our uh, investment that could counterbalance a maybe a higher valuation than than we would 
you know, be accustomed to investing behind if we had a traditional growth equity fund. So building in things like downside protection, um, you know, return protection, other kind of governance features where we could say, hey, we think this company is worth in reality 600 million, but we're fine investing at 700, 800 million. So what that does is actually gives us a really great purview into the mind of these entrepreneurs, management teams, and shareholders, because we're giving them the flexibility and they can kind of pick and choose which way they they want to go. So I think there are um, a few things that they're doing. One is they're focusing on less dilutive capital. I think our fund would qualify, but they're looking at venture debt. They're looking at um, other types of kind of credit products that maybe don't in, in, um, include selling or diluting the equity, which are around, but you know, tricky to find and, and your company has to fit a certain profile. We're seeing uh, insider rounds where a company will go to market. They don't really get the, the valuation that they want. Existing shareholders will put money in, probably much less so than they had anticipated raising in the um, external market, just to kind of kick the can down the road and say, we'll put in enough to uh, manage through um, a period of time when until the markets recover. We're seeing more of that as the public markets start to recover a bit. It's giving people a bit more optimism around um, you know, having a, a better fundraising environment a year from now and kind of stalling in a certain way. And then we're seeing people um, cut. Uh, you know, rifts are very common, uh, cutting expenses. You know, it's, um, it's, it's hard to say uh, whether – uh, you know, they're they're doing it in an appropriate way or in a way that's not sacrificing too much growth, right? You could cut, you know, 80% of the staff of a company and it'll like kind of chug along for a short period of time before things collapse. Um, so there is kind of a happy medium of how to do that appropriately. But I think people are trying to slow burn as, as much as feasible. Um, and, and sometimes it's a combination of all of the above. What do you think are going to be the key differentiators? Are there key differentiators or does it really depend on the business, where they are, and how... First of all, okay, that's my question, first of all. Are there key differentiators between the ones that will do well and the ones that won't? And what are they, if there are? I, I think the characteristics of successful companies actually doesn't change much in, in different environments. You know, I think you're looking for you know, sustainable business models, great unit economics, really great teams. I, I think, you know, the, the quality of management is is as important now as as ever. Um, and, and then, you know, areas where there's a real kind of barrier to entry. Um, you know, I think those are those are still fundamental, you know, characteristics of, of businesses that will succeed and things that we look for as other investors do. I think in 2021 and 2020 and, and during the kind of bubble period, it's, it's not that people weren't looking for those. I think it's just that the the bar was much lower of uh, for for you know what would kind of qualify as a as an investable company and then you know I think more more people than not were able to raise capital so I think there'll be kind of a flushing of the system people are more selective there'll be a flight to quality but I think they will still uh, do well okay yeah I've talked to a few people and they're saying there's a shift from growth at all costs mm-hmm. to not growth at all. <laughs> <laughs> growth at some costs. <laughs> growth at some costs, yeah. yes. I mean, you could see that in some of the people that have released earnings recently. They did a huge amount of cuts and now they're actually doing really, really well. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to mention them, but yeah. <laughs> well, I've, I think we've all seen the press around you know people who worked at Facebook and made like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year mm-hmm. and just said, oh, actually, I really didn't do anything all day. I mean, it's just... It's kind of astounding the fat in the system, and I think people are still trying to figure that out. And and yeah, you know, and and 
know, the AI component is, you know, adds an interesting overlay to that. Like, what is the appropriate staffing level to to keep, you know, growth and to maintain, you know, my operations? But, um, yeah, I mean, the, fundamentally, you know, growth is, is not the end-all, be-all at the moment. Mm-hmm. Do you see AI, now that you've mentioned it, do you <laughs> see AI affecting a lot of these businesses that you're um, uh, investing in? how they approach where they're growing. I know a lot of them are putting it into their systems and everyone's got some kind of AI strategy, but is this like with the workforce and all of that, do you think that's going to really affect how they grow going forward? Yeah. So, you know, I don't have a crystal ball as to how AI develops over the next 10 years. I think it's obviously a fascinating you know, technology. It seemed to have kind of hit everyone kind of, you know, blindsided. It came out of nowhere in some respects, but it's been kind of a, a technology that's been talked about and worked on for, for decades. You know, I would just say I have certainly seen AI being incorporated into management presentations and fundraising presentations. I think people, you know, when there's a really hot area of the venture world or a hot area of the technology world, people try to kind of leverage that kind of glow into their own business. And and you can kind of cheaply and, um, uh, uh, you know, incorporate AI into your current operations, no matter what you do. You could do it here and have AI come up with questions and say, oh, I'm an AI-driven podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but I think, you know, it's, it's, in the near term, we were def- definitely seeing companies experiment um, in on kind of the engineering technology side, you know, with like software development. You know, I've talked to engineers who will have kind of certain AI-driven tools come up with solutions, and then you'd have, you know, engineers review it. And so it's somewhat of a time-saving me- measure, they save 5% of the time. The AI tool will come up with something clever that they hadn't thought of, so it's been helpful. I don't see it. I haven't seen it yet, like, really fundamentally change the the staffing of, of firms of, like, I don't need a certain department or I can cut things dramatically because I have now, you know, an AI tool that can, you know, replace that capability. Uh, but, you know, the future may, may change, thing, change things dramatically. Um, so I, it's definitely talked about. Um, more sizzle than steak at the moment, but that could change. Okay. I like, I like that sizz- more sizzle than steak. <laughs> it's nice. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you saw kind of companies focused towards kind of home improvements. That sector is doing pretty well in mm-hmm. this environment. What are the other sectors that you're seeing that are perhaps doing better out of this than others? Yeah. So there are... Um, in the near term, there are some, uh, there are definitely a lot of businesses that may be countercyclical um, in and around like consumer credit to so, like debt resolution, debt repair. I mean, consumer credit levels are you know are, are quite high from a, a historical basis. Like they will and are positioned to do well um, when when things you know potentially turn or or if people are over levered. You know, servicing collections businesses because there's just a, a larger you know kind of principal balance of those receivables out in the world. Um, there are also other companies that um, hold uh, consumer deposits or cash that aren't really in the business of paying out interest and get away without paying interest that um, benefit greatly when when rates are higher. Um, so there are a couple of public companies um, uh, in the U.S. One's called the Bancorp. One's called, uh, it used to be called Meta. Now it's called Pathword Financial. Um, and, and if you buy like a, a, a gift card, um, 
or if you you have a we have like these health savings accounts in the U.S. where you just have money sitting somewhere. It's not a lot, um, and it's you know, helps you pay health expenses. Consumers aren't really accustomed to getting interest off of that as they would a traditional bank account. So you have a company that maybe aggregates a lot of these health savings accounts. So they have a bunch of cash that sits there. They can predict when it's going to be needed uh, to be dispersed. Uh, they can take that cash and and invest it risk free instead of zero percent. Now it's kind of five percent, right? So all of that is margin that goes to the bottom line of that company um, that faci- that kind of manages that uh, the, that account. Um, and and the HSA is one example. There are a lot of different accounts like that in the prepaid world, and uh, and and they're banking as a service providers that hold cash in a certain way where they can get that margin. So there there are other companies that will do well um, because of that. Okay, and fundraising as a whole. Um, it's not dead. Is this what you're saying? Uh, it's uh, dead is a strong word. Okay. Um, I, I think things go in waves, right? I think it, everyone is anchored to what fundraising was like in 2021. That was a huge historical aberration. Actually, if you look at the levels today, it's not like the lowest in 20 years. We're kind of back to the the mid aughts, like 14, 15 levels of fundraising. Uh, so I think it's it's probably overshot the other way a little bit, especially in kind of the later stage side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the seed A world is generally okay. You know, the B, C, D pre-IPO has been tougher, uh, which was part of the thesis of why we we came in in that area. Uh, but um, you know, it's uh, it, it'll probably come back. It'll, I don't think it'll ever get back to the levels of of twenty one. But um, you know, who knows? No crystal ball. <laughs> that, that's exactly no crystal ball. That's a shame that it won't go back to that again. No crystal ball. <laughs> but um, so let's go past this year. I know you don't have crystal ball, mm-hmm. but you can see kind of what's going on. Um, what's your outlook? What's your outlook for the fintech sector and the fundraising environment for fundraising, mm-hmm. I, I think um, I think it will improve uh, in the areas that it's been difficult. Um, again, in this kind of mid to late stage uh, f- uh, maturity um, uh, of company, I, I think it will improve. And I think it's when you go through these you know, large dislocations. I think there's just the uncertainty will create a lot of. Um, just apprehension from anyone, you know, any investor and, and, and LPs, which has a second order effect on investors of just like, we don't really know how this is going to get settled. We don't want to catch a falling knife. We'll pause. Uh, so, you know, fundraising was was extremely low, you know, earlier this year as people try to figure out what's happening. You had, you know, inflation rates kept going up. Now we're seeing that kind of level off. I think people look for stability and I think we're starting to see the elements of that. So I would expect in, in two, three years that, you know, I think there's uh, much less apprehension. There is still, you know, I think um, uh, selection, um, you know, heightening of kind of selection criteria. Uh, but I think it'll it'll kind of uh, be on the upswing at that point. Okay, that's positive. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any factors that will affect that? Do you think? Uh, yeah, well, of course. I mean, um, yeah, the the macro picture you know could change dramatically. Um, you know, I think there's uh, uh, geopolitical events that could also have have an effect. Um, if you know China invades Taiwan next year, like I, I think all bets are off. You know, there are things that are tail risks that. Um, you know, I, I think um, people tend to, you know, maybe uh, have a lower sense of the probability than the reality of, of that, the probability of that event. 
um, in Russia and Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, no one would have predicted it, and it's. Um, I think it, th- these things are always going to be out there, but you know, the macro picture. I think there's still uncertainty. Um, inflation seems tame, but that could change. Um, we have an election coming up next year that some people have heard of <laughs> that, uh, that may uh, impact uh, how people view the, the kind of next you know, four years at least of, uh, of kind of the economic regulatory environment. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. I guess, like, since the pandemic, anything could happen. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, like, who would have predicted exactly. that? I mean, it's, it's really crazy. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah totally. Okay. And what's a piece of advice that you would give to founders, to anyone really within this environment? So this is um, this is totally biased and self-serving, but you know I'm I'm interacting with management teams all the time, and I of course want someone if I present them a, a, a deal like they should take my deal, we should be partners and make a bunch of money together. And um, I've seen some uh, management teams and shareholders not really accept the reality of where you know terms and valuations are, and they say no, nope, well forget it, we'll go back out in six to twelve months. There are examples, um, uh, and I can, we'll give a couple in a second of companies that. You know, they didn't get exactly the valuation they wanted a year ago, and they did a little bit of an inside round, or maybe they raised a little bit of venture debt, and then you know they went back out again to raise money. They didn't get exactly what they wanted, so they said no. And there have been a couple examples of those companies going bankrupt, right? You just it without the liquidity is the biggest existential risk for these companies. If you run out of money, there's nothing you can do, and and as you get closer to running out, actually your options become more limited because you become a distressed situation and things become. Uh, much more fraught. And, you know, I think, you know, these capital raises, if you're raising 50 or 100 million, it's, it's, uh, it is dilutive, but in some cases you're selling, you know, five, 10, 15% of your, of your business. You know, if you thought your business should be valued much more highly, maybe the difference is you sell 15% instead of 10, but you're getting the liquidity to really survive and potentially thrive and go on offense in a market where that, that actually has a really good ROI on it because others are pulling back. I think, um, you know, my advice is to think carefully about saying no to liquidity in this, in this environment. Okay, cool. That's a really good <laughs> uh, piece of advice, I would say. Um, your curveball question. Okay. Okay. What would your life's music be? Oh, boy. Um, so I'm actually going to see Billy Joel tonight, okay, nice. uh, which I'm very excited about. Um, I don't know. I Maybe uh, a big fan of, you know, the song The Piano Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I think just, uh, you know, helping kind of orchestrate all aspects of my life and and uh, maybe via via music, it just it, it feels um, that's what I like doing. Just being involved in a lot of different things, and whether it's family, work, otherwise. But um, I think that's just answer driven by my concert tickets tonight. But okay, but <laughs> it's no, exciting. it's a good answer. It's a good answer. I'm going to listen to it afterwards because I don't know Billy Joel very well. But um, oh yeah, a classic song. You'll really enjoy it. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for coming in. Yeah, I've really enjoyed talking to you. And. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Isabel. Really appreciate it. Uh, Really excited to be on. Uh, Appreciate the time. As always, you can reach out and chat with me on my personal LinkedIn or Twitter at Izzy Castro Writes. That's spelled I-Z-Y. But for access to great daily content, check out Fintech Nexus on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also sign up for our daily newsletter, bringing news straight to your inbox. For more fintech podcast fun, check out the website where you can find more fascinating conversations hosted by Peter Renton and Todd Anderson. That's it from me. Until next time, enjoy your downtime.